0: Well, uh, my first car that I owned, um, I'm going to show you a picture of it right here, was a, a 1995 white Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme that, uh, that I got um, in Minnesota. My parents helped me find this car, and I drove it back to the East Coast. And, you know, having your first car, sometimes you learn some good lessons um, in your, your first car. And I certainly learned a lot of lessons with that car. And one of those lessons that I learned uh, came on the Queensboro Bridge in New York City back in 2006. That's the picture of the Queensboro Bridge. Um, earlier that week, as I had been driving, my uh, Oldsmobile around New York City. Uh, the, the battery light on the dashboard had gone on and off kind of a couple different times during that week, which, which should have led me to bring the car to the mechanic to take a look at what the reason for this light that was going off. But I didn't have a lot of time, and, and so I figured, yeah, it seems to be running just fine, and I'll check it out sometime soon. Well, one day as I was driving over the Queensboro Bridge from Queens into Manhattan, right into the heart of, of Midtown Manhattan, suddenly my car started to just shut down on the middle of this bridge, and I am my, my power steering is not working, and, and the lights are going off, and I'm starting to freak out here. I, I barely made it to the, the middle of the, the bridge, so I began to coast down uh, the downslope on the other side of the bridge and tried to force my car over onto the first exit that I could get off of this bridge. And as I coasted down the exit to the bottom, then my car just stopped dead in the middle of the intersection, blocking all the traffic that was also trying to get off the Queensboro Bridge at that time. Well, I, uh, I got out of my car and was trying to figure out what to do. Thankfully, a couple of guys nearby helped me push the car through the intersection over to the side. But here was the problem. This is the part I hadn't mentioned to you before, is that I was supposed to leave the next morning on a cross-country road trip to California, and I had to get my car fixed. And here it was, 5 p.m. the day before, and I was not sure how in the world all this is going to happen. Well, what do you know? All of a sudden, as I'm trying to figure out, racking my brain, all of a sudden, a tow truck drove by. And I got onto the road and waved him down and said, hey, is there any chance that you could tow my car to a mechanic? And the guy said, well, actually, I, I work for a mechanic down in lower Manhattan, and I think he's still open. So hop in the car. We'll tow him down there. So he towed my car down to lower Manhattan. And the mechanic was willing to take a look at the car, said, I needed a new alternator, um, and that was when I first learned about what an alternator was. And, uh, and so he, thankfully, was willing to install it the very next morning. Um, and guess what? Uh, he jacked up the price quite a bit, I think, because uh, he knew I didn't have any other option at that point. And, um, but, you know, after this whole experience, I, I, I kind of felt two different things. Um, on the one hand, I felt like I had received a lot of mercy that day. <laughs> Um, as this tow truck driver um, had driven by right at the right time, had driven me over to the mechanic, a mechanic who was willing to fix my car, um, you know, that, that, that next morning. And the fact that I was actually even able to leave on my road trip <laughs> that next day. I, I just felt, man, God had mercy on me in the midst of that. But at the same time, I also, it was kind of a painful, stressful experience too, right? Um, that I really didn't need to experience, to be honest, if I had paid attention to the dashboard, right? If I had paid attention to that light that had gone off and actually brought the mechanic to the car into the mechanic earlier, um, it would have saved me some money on that alternator, I'm pretty sure. And it would have saved me also a lot of stress. Um, I certainly learned a lesson that day to pay attention to the lights on the dashboard. (laughs) Well, in our text this morning, uh, king David learns a similar lesson. Uh, we've been going through a, a sermon series called David, a man after God's own heart, uh, looking at the life of David, the second king of Israel. And throughout the series, we've seen many moments where David really showed that, that character of being a man after God's own heart. But as, as Irene re- referred to just before reading Psalm 51 this morning, that last week we saw David take a real Nosedive, right? He, we talked last week about the downward spiral that David faced as he spiraled into sin, and then covering up that sin. Uh, he was on the roof of the palace, saw this woman bathing, Bathsheba, who was the wife of another man, Uriah. Um, he sent for her, slept with her, committing adultery, and then finds out that she's pregnant. And he decides he's going to try to cover up the sin, but after a couple of failed attempts at that, decides, well, I'm just going to eliminate her husband, right? Have Uriah taken out, um, adding murder to his sin of adultery. And you can imagine that all during this whole process, those warning lights are going up on David's dashboard, right? This is not good, David, right? The Holy Spirit letting him know, no, 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 this is not the way to go. But like me... He chose to ignore the warning lights. And what happened? He ended up getting into more and more of a mess. Kind of like me, stuck at the the bottom of the Queensborough Bridge with a dead car, right? David was in a real rough spot. But similar to to, to God having mercy on me in my situation, God didn't leave David in that spot either. Uh, God had mercy on David. um, But just like my experience with the mechanic, there was some cost. There was some pain involved in David even experiencing that mercy. And so my sermon title today is God's Severe Mercy. Um, we're going to look at, at, at these two different kind of qualities that we see in, in David's experience here today. That both how, how David receives mercy, God shows mercy to David um, and to us, but that sometimes that mercy can be severe that, that sometimes it can be painful and costly, even in the midst of, of experiencing that mercy. And so our text today is uh, from 2 S- Samuel, 2 uh, Samuel 12, uh, verses 1 to 14. And basically we're picking up exactly where we left off last week, as we, as we looked at 2 f- Samuel 11. And at the very end of that chapter, it says, what David had done displeased the Lord, right? So we, that kind of sets us up for in the next chapter, 2 Samuel 12. So hear God's word to us today. It's on page uh, 222 in the Pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow along um, with the Bibles. So 2 Samuel chapter 2, 12, beginning verse, with verse 1. "'The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, "'There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor.' The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the Son born to you will die. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, pray that, that you would um, open up this word to us today as, as we see this moment of confrontation with the prophet Nathan and david and and just as we study and, and think about what you were doing in the midst of this god you 're showing mercy but also experiencing the severity Lord of our sin, God that you would just uh, speak to our hearts God and and, um, and open our, our hearts to be soft to your word this morning. we pray in jesus' name, amen, as we look at, at um, again these, these kind of two different elements of, of, of god 's severe mercy in in uh, this passage, I want to look at kind of three different ways that we see this. Uh, three different ways that we see that, that God shows this kind of severe mercy to David. And the first one is is looking at God's severe mercy in confrontation. Sorry about the uh, we ha- we were having some issues with the with the the, the uh, screen here, but that so in your bullets. And there's a little insert that does mention it there. It says God's severe mercy in. Confrontation. If you want to follow along and take notes, you're welcome to do that. Um, So so the first way that God shows severe mercy is through confrontation. Um, God is merciful by confronting David with his sin. But that confrontation is severe and painful for David. Um, So let's look at how we see both of those elements in in this confrontation that happens in our passage. Um, We're not sure exactly how much time passed between um, David's act of adultery and then having Uriah killed um, and this confrontation by the prophet Nathan. But we know that at least it was probably about nine months, you know, between when that happened and around when this this child was born. Um, And and so during this time, though, you can imagine David feeling a lot of inner turmoil as as this period is going along. Now, on the one hand, he he might have felt kind of some relief at thinking, well, maybe he's actually going to get away with this thing, right? Maybe it's not going to actually be made public. Um, But on the other hand, David was a man who had a sensitivity to God's heart. He did know God, right? And and, and so he must have felt this guilt and shame at the sin that he had committed, which he was holding inside. And and one of the ways that we might get a, a glimpse into this is as actually from another one of the Psalms that David wrote, uh, Psalm 32, where he writes about the experience, the feeling of keeping his sins hidden. Uh, so in Psalm 32, verses thir- three, to, whoop, 3 to 4, um, David writes, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So it's very likely that David, even as he's writing this psalm, was thinking back on this period of time in his life when he was, was exactly experiencing this, right? He, he, he was silent. He was not confessing his sin, but he was feeling this groaning and this wasting away. He's in turmoil over this sin that he is not confessing. Um, you know, there's a classic work of literature that vividly portrays this, this, this kind of experience of the weight of secret unconfessed sin. Um, in, it's an old novel from 1850, the novel The Scarlet Letter uh, by, by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Um, and I remember reading this, this book when I was in school. And, and the novel, it's set in, in Puritan, New England. And there's a woman, um, Hester Prynne, who herself is guilty of adultery, and, and she's forced to wear this scarlet letter, this scarlet A on her as a sign of, of her shame that she's committed adultery. But the, as, you, as the book goes along, you recognize that, that the, actually the father of Hester's child, who she committed adultery with, was the minister of the church, um, Arthur Dimmesdale. But he has kept this a secret. And after several years, we see that this, this, this guy, Dimsdale he is physically wasting away as he's suffering from heart trouble caused by the psychological distress of, of knowing what's happened. He, he kind of tortures himself for his sins, but he just can't confess it. Um, the secret is literally killing him. It is literally eating him alive inside, similar to what David describes. Um, and at one point in the novel, I'm just going to read from there, Dimsdale expresses his distress like this. He says, Had I one friend, or were it my worst enemy, to whom when sickened with the praises of all other men, I could daily betake myself and be known as the vilest of all sinners. Methinks my soul might keep itself alive thereby. Even thus much of truth would save me. But now it is all falsehood. All emptiness, all death. He longs to have someone that he could tell this sin to, that he could confess it to. But as long as he keeps it a secret, all he feels is emptiness and death. That's what happens when we don't confess our sin, right? It, 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 it eats us alive when we keep our sin concealed. And so here's the thing. It is actually merciful when God confronts us with our sin. It is merciful to us because he wants to free us from that kind of an experience, like Arthur Dimmesdale eating alive inside, right? God doesn't want us to be stuck in guilt and shame. He wants us to free, he to free us from the turmoil of unconfessed sin. And so he confronts us for our good. It's God's mercy to us. But that mercy of confrontation can be severe. It can be painful. Because guess what? We don't like it when our sin is exposed. We don't like to be confronted with it. Um, In John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. When we are in that place of, 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 of sin and, and darkness, we don't want to come into the light, right? We don't want to go there. We don't want to confess it. And so when we are confronted with our sin, when the light is shining on our sin, it's painful. It's, it feels severe, right? When all of a sudden we are exposed. And so how does God do this with Na- with, with, with David. Well, God confronts David by sending the prophet Nathan to him. And Nathan does it in this really, really ingenious kind of way, doesn't he? Uh, the way that God confronts David's sin. Uh, Nathan begins to tell David this story. He, 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 and, and David thinks that the story that Nathan is telling is the story about a rich man and a poor man and a lamb. But, but at the end of the story, we all find out, and David does too, that it's actually, the whole story is about him. It's about David. Uh, this rich man, Nathan says, who has this large number of cattle and sheep, is just like David. A man who, who a king who had many, many wives. We talked about that last week too. And, and this poor man, he just has one little ewe lamb who he loves deeply and he, he cares for. Guess who that, little, that poor man's like? It's like Uriah, right? Who has this one wife, Bathsheba, who he loves deeply. And so this traveler comes to town and instead of taking one of his, the rich man, instead of taking one of his many, many sheep and, and preparing a meal for the traveler, what does he do? The rich man takes that one beloved lamb from the poor man, just like David took Uriah's one wife, his beloved Bathsheba when he already had multiple wives. And so as, as, as Nathan tells the story to David, David burns with anger, right? At this rich man. And he tells him that he, he deserves to die for what he did to this poor man. And at the very least, he should pour, pay for the lamb four times over. And then Nathan gets in David's face, right? And he tells David the most powerful, most convicting four words that David could have ever heard. You are the man, right? This whole story, David, it's you. You just did this. You did this thing to Uriah. You are guilty. You've just pronounced the verdict on yourself, David, right? Ouch. You can imagine David's jaw just hitting the floor. How did Nathan know about this? How did Nathan know about Uriah? And was he really like that rich man that he had just condemned? This is painful for David to hear. You are the man. It's severe, but it's also merciful that Nathan brings this to him because it jolts David out of his sin. It jolts him out of his secrecy. And David responds as he feels the weight of this, right? He is exposed. The light has shone on him. How does he respond? In verse 13, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. Boom. He acknowledges it, right? We looked at this back when we looked at Saul, that Saul kind of finds these ways to kind of you know, explain away his sin. But when David is confronted with it, thankfully in this moment, he, he confesses it, right? I have sinned against the Lord. He lets the secret out. He admits it. And although that must have been painful for him to do because our sin hates the light, it also must have been freeing for David, right? In, in his book um, about David, Pastor Chuck Swindoll um, uses this illustration from his childhood to talk about maybe what this might have been like for David, right? As, as he's keeping this sin in, in, in him for potentially nine months, right? and Not confessing it. Um, this is what, what, what Swindoll writes. He says, I remember as a little boy suffering from a stone bruise. I would bruised my heel deep down deep right to the bone and the infection caused my heel to swell until finally I could not wear a shoe on my foot. The swelling grew as the infection came more and more to the surface until it was so painful that I could not even endure a sock on my foot. Afraid of blood poisoning, my parents finally took me to the doctor who said, we'll need to lance this. And although I knew it was coming and dreaded the thought, when the doctor lanced it, I literally felt a gush of relief as the infection poured out. Although the lancing was painful, the relief eclipsed it. Shortly thereafter, the infection left and healing followed. And, and Swindall wraps that up by saying, spiritually speaking, that's what David must have felt in that moment. As it gets lanced, right? The pain of the confrontation, and yet then the relief. It's finally out. I'm not holding that sin in anymore. And so God's confrontation through Nathan, it's merciful because it leads to David confessing, I have sinned against the Lord. And in that that scripture reading that that Irene read earlier in the service, Psalm 51, as she mentioned, it's actually a prayer that David wrote after the prophet Nathan confronted him about his sin. And so hearing again, from another perspective, David's prayer here, he says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David confesses his sin. He asks for mercy. He asks for cleansing. And it's merciful that God brings him to that point of finally confessing his sin. But that confession then opens up the door to the next the second aspect of God's severe mercy we see in this passage. And that second one that we see is God's severe mercy in forgiveness. Um, God's severe mercy in forgiveness. Again, sorry about the, the screen here. But as soon as as soon as David confesses his sin, right, right in that moment, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And what is Nathan's reply? To him immediately. He says, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Wow. That is mercy. That is forgiveness. That is the definition of mercy because David definitely deserves to die, right? He is guilty of adultery, he is guilty of murder. And both of those sins were punishable by death in Israel's law. And so the just and fair consequence that David deserved for his sin was death. And we talked about that last week, right? That the downward spiral ultimately ends in death. That's what we deserve for our sin. And, and David even pronounced that, guilt, that guilty verdict on himself, right? And when, he, when he talked about the rich man in Nathan's story, he says, the man who did this, what? deserves to die. And so when Nathan here proclaims that David is not going to die, he's basically saying, David, you're not going to get what you deserve. You deserve death, but you're not getting it. You're getting mercy. You're getting forgiveness. Now, why doesn't God give David what he deserves? Why does he show him mercy? Well, the key is in the first part of Nathan's statement, where he says, the Lord has taken away your sin. The, the Hebrew phrase here is talking about a spatial transfer, uh, that, that David's sin has been removed from him and carried off to somewhere else. And so by confessing, by confessing his sin to God, acknowledging, yes, Lord, I have sinned against you, he has allowed God to take that sin away from him, to remove it from him, thereby also removing the deserved punishment of death as well. Here's maybe an illustration to think about this. Imagine that you are holding a radioactive piece of rock in your hand. And, and, and this piece of rock, if you keep on holding on to it, you are going to die from the radiation that that rock is, is, is producing, right? Right? And you have a friend, though, who cares about you and who doesn't want you to die. But in order for for him to remove the death from you, he needs to remove the rock. He needs to take the rock out of your hands. And in order for for him to remove that rock, he needs you to open up your hands so he can take the rock away from you. And so admitting our sin, like David does, is, is the way that we sort of open up our hands and say, God, yeah, take it away from me, right? I don't want it anymore. And God then takes that radioactive rock, takes our sin, and and he takes it away so that we don't die. But how can God do that? I mean, what happens to the radioactive rock? What happens to David's sin? Well, throughout the Old Testament, there were these hints about what God did with the sin of his people. uh, That God instituted the sacrificial system where, where the priest would symbolically place the sins of the people on an animal. Um, and one of the ways that, that this happened was, was actually this, 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 w- this thing where, where a scapegoat, right? The, the priest would actually put it, lay his hands. You, miss, you kind of see the hands there on the top of the hand, right? They would actually symbolically be placing the sins of the people on this goat. In um, other ways, that, that would happen would by, by sacrificing these animals, right? And here's the thing. The, the reality was that, that what God was communicating through these animals was that there is always a cost involved to forgiveness. That there's always a cost involved. Um, and that, that the sin needs to be taken away from the people and transferred. Right here in this case was transferred to this animal. And the animal bore the punishment instead of the people. But but we know this from the book of Hebrews, that these animal sacrifices were only really pointing ahead to what God was ultimately going to do to deal with Sin once and for all, including David's sin and including ours. Because what was God going to do? God was going to send his son to be that scapegoat, right? To be that animal, the lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. That in many ways, God was going to take that radioactive rock and take it and hold it himself and bear the death that we deserve. And that's what God did, again, when he entered into our world and became a human being in Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, that was what God was doing. He was bearing the cost for David's sin and the cost for our sin. He was bearing the sin of the world so that we could be forgiven, so that David could be forgiven. Jesus' death on the cross, is another kind of illustration, is kind of like a pebble, that's thrown into the middle of a lake. When that pebble hits the lake, ripples go out every direction, right? When Jesus died on the cross at that particular moment in history, ripples went out from the cross into the past to cover the sin of all those who had come before Jesus and into the future to cover all the sin that would come after Jesus, including you and me. He died. That pebble hit the ground so that it would hit, cover all the sin of the world. We we read about that in that second um, scripture reading that Irene read from 1 John, 1 John 2 2, where it says, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus paid for all sin, past, present, future, the sin of the world. He was the Lamb of God, John the Baptist said, who takes away the sin of the world. David says, Nathan says to, to, to David, the Lord has taken away your sin. Ultimately, he took that sin away and placed it on his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for it in full. And so, Jesus, so God's forgiveness, God's forgiveness is also a severe mercy. Because it is mercy, right, to us, but it is a mercy that has a cost. It's a mercy that has severity to it. It's mercy that was painful, but who bore the severity of it? Jesus did. He bore the severity of it on the cross. The pain and the cost is felt by God himself. He takes the severity on himself so that we can receive mercy, that we can be forgiven. So God shows severe mercy in confrontation, right? As he brings that sin to to David to bring him to a place of confession. And then he shows severe mercy in forgiveness, as, as he pays for the sin, right? The severeness of, of what Jesus did for us, but then to show mercy. And I wish that I could just end the story here. I wish I could. But there's another aspect of God's severe mercy in this passage that we see. And the last thing that we see of God's severe mercy is God's severe mercy and consequences. Because there are consequences that come to David because of what has happened here. God takes away his sin. He tells him, David, you're not going to die. But then he also says there are going to be consequences for your sin. in, in verse 10, Nathan says, the sword will never depart from your house. That something has shifted now, David, in your house. So there's going to be this kind of violence and, and sword there's, that things have shifted because of this. And and he says, out of your own household, I'm going to bring com- calamity upon you. And the hardest consequences in that, the end of verse 14, right after he says, you are not going to die, David, he says, but the son born to you will die. You see, David, David's sin has both immediate and also long-range consequences. Painful and severe consequences. Now, I want you to to understand this, right? That that these things are not God's punishment, (laughs) eternal punishment for David's sin, right? God has taken away the the eternal punishment that David deserves, right? But there are temporal consequences that result from David's sin here. And and so why doesn't God take away those consequences? (laughs) Why doesn't he say, David, you're forgiven You're cleansed, and and guess what? There's there's no problem, right? Nothing's going to come of all this. Well, ironically, the severity of David's consequences are also actually a part of God's mercy. They're actually a part of God's mercy to David. And consequences that we experience from our, our sin are also God's mercy to us. Let me explain why that is. Because sin, at its core, is destructive, It's like that radioactive rock. If we hold on to sin in our lives, if we keep on sinning, guess what? We're harming ourselves. We're hurting ourselves. It will harm us. It will eventually kill us if we keep holding on to it. And so on the cross, God took the punishment for our sins so that we would be forgiven. But in this life, we keep on getting tempted to take back that sin. (laughs) To take back the rock and hold on to it some more, even after we've been forgiven. And we're tempted just to keep on picking up that rock. And, and God wants uh, to keep us from the destructive nature of our sin. He doesn't want us to experience the pain, right, of, of choosing to go away from his, his desires. And so he allows us to experience sometimes the severe consequences of our sin to remind us that sin is going to harm us every time. And ultimately, it will kill us if we let it keep going. And so it's actually merciful for God to allow us to experience those temporal consequences so that we'll be reminded of how destructive sin is. And hopefully, it will wake us up right? to say, God, I want to live in your life. right? I want to live in the light. I don't want to live in this way that's destroying me. It's kind of like how a parent disciplines and teaches their child a child that never experiences consequences for their disobedience is going to end up one spoiled kid right and believe me as a father it is sometimes hard and painful to try to bring to show my kids that there's consequences to their actions when they disobey when they go the wrong way it's it's hard but i know that by doing that it's helping to teach them right that disobedience it it, it always leads to death ultimately, right? And so experiencing consequences for our actions, it's part of the process of maturing and learning how to make better choices. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, we read, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful, right? But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And so experiencing the consequences of our sin, it's painful, it's severe, but it's also merciful because it will produce that harvest of righteousness and peace in us. It's actually part of God training us. So as we close, I want to just invite you to, 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 to consider how God might be speaking to you through this passage today. Maybe as you're hearing this, you're recognizing that maybe there's a sin that you've been holding on to, like David was. Uh, something that you've kind of kept in, in, in secret and, and it's sort of eating away inside. Can you, uh, can you relate to David's experience of feeling the weight of guilt and shame for that sin? Guess what? God wants to free you from that. He wants to release that from you. And so maybe you sense God confronting you today pointing out, like Nathan did, that you are the man, you are the woman. And if you feel that, that, that finger pointing out at you today, experience it not as judgment, but experience it as God's severe mercy. He's being merciful today by bringing you the opportunity to bring it into the light and confess it to the Lord. It's painful to be confronted with our sin, but it's actually for our good. It's God's mercy. So I invite you, if that's you, if you feel the, the Lord doing that, to just respond as David did, I have sinned against the Lord. To just acknowledge that. To admit your sin, bring it into the light, and that is the way that we're going to experience freedom and release and forgiveness that we need. Again, as we read, heard in first John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And maybe, maybe someone here today, you're maybe you're experiencing some of the painful consequences of your sin. You know, maybe, maybe you are feeling the weight of maybe some of those things that you have done in the past and you're, you're experiencing the pain of that. And it can be easy to get angry with God when that happens, when we're reaping some of the painful results of our sin. But allow the pain that you may be going through right now to remind you that sin will always promise you pleasure, but in the end, it will always bring you ultimate pain. And so allow that pain to just drive you back to God, to to come to him for mercy, to come to him and Lord say, Lord, bring healing to me, right? Bring healing in the midst of this. Give me patience and perseverance to walk through even some of the, the consequences that I'm experiencing. And remember, here's the note I want to make sure that we land on at the end here, to remember that no matter what sin you have committed in the past no matter what secret sin you may be holding on to, no matter what consequences you may be experiencing from your past, all of that sin, Jesus has taken it upon himself on the cross, and he's paid for it in full. He died for that sin so that you don't have to. And if you confess that sin, you can know with confidence he's taken it away. You don't have to bear the punishment for it anymore because Jesus took it for you. And so in, in, as, I want to just close by, by reading from, from psalm, that, psalm, that same psalm, Psalm 32, where David talked about how it felt when, when he kept the sin inside, right? How he was just feeling this anguish. His bones were wasting away. His strength was sapped. But then he goes on to say what he did next. And so hear this as we close. David says this, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what happened? And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Praise the Lord for God's mercy, his forgiveness. Let's follow David's example and experience that same forgiveness and freedom that comes as we do. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge that, that, that so often we do respond as David did initially when we sin, that we, we want to keep it hidden. We don't want it to be exposed. We think that maybe we can just get, get through this, Lord, and maybe no one will notice. But, Lord, we know that, that ultimately the sin that is unconfessed, it, it, it's going to kill us inside. And, and we thank you for the mercy of, of your con- confronting word, God, the law that comes and confronts us with our sin, the, the Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sin, we thank you even for people in our lives like a Nathan who sometimes comes and, and says a word and interrupts us and actually brings out, Lord, the fact that, that we need to confess something to you. And so, Lord, I pray that, that even today if there's anyone here who's experiencing that conviction, God, that, that you would just give the, the, the mercy of, of them being able to just bring that before you saying, Lord, I have sinned against you. Have mercy on me. Wash me clean. Cleanse me. we thank you, Jesus, that your response to that is always, yes, I have taken away your sin. You will not have to die because Jesus has died in our place. And so thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness and your mercy to us. And even in the consequences that we may experience from our sin, as David does, we thank you for the mercy in that too, Lord, that you would train us and teach us and discipline us to be able to see, Lord, that that following your way is always better. We want to live in the light. We want to live according to your word. And so teach us, God, discipline us in those ways, even in ways where it can be hard and painful, God, that you give us strength to face that, God, to see that that ultimately it's for our good, that we're going through that, so you can bring us to a place where we are living in the light, living according to your word, and that we might have a testimony to others too, God, to encourage them to walk in the light, to walk according to your precepts and your inobedience to God. So we pray that you do this in our lives, God. We invite your Holy Spirit, and we thank you for your mercy. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.